Music is central to our well-being. If you're listening here, chances are you feel the same. The Classical Post podcast uncovers the creativity that exists behind great music. We believe music is interconnected with other art forms and life experiences. It doesn't exist in a vacuum, but is often influenced by other sources. No matter who you are, cultivating your creativity is fundamental to being better in business and living a more holistic life. Discover more on this podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Eifert. Thanks for joining me today, and I hope you find something valuable in this episode. Among the countless projects classical music presenters have had to delay over the past two years, perhaps none has been more eagerly anticipated than that of Omar, a new opera from Rhiannon Giddens and Michael Abels. Originally slated to premiere in May 2020, Omar finally received its long-awaited opening this summer at the Spoleto Festival USA in Charleston, South Carolina. Based on the life and 1831 autobiography of Omar ibn Said, a Muslim scholar stolen from his homeland of Senegal and twice sold into slavery in the Carolinas, Giddens and Abels' new opera probes largely unexplored truths in modern American discussions of slavery. For Abel's, Omar's history, one of strength, resistance, and religious conviction, is not only timely given the U.S.'s continued reckoning with its history of slavery, but it also makes for compelling storytelling on the operatic stage. Abel's, who has received incredible accolades for his genre-defying film work, most notably his scores for Jordan Peele's Get Out and Us, brings that same sense of wide musical exploration to Omar, which the New York Times hailed as, quote, an unforced ideal of American sound, expansive and ever-changing, unquote. In this conversation of the Classical Post podcast, we discuss more about Omar and Abel's collaboration with Giddens and take a deep dive into his creative process in which he strives to be, quote, both a channel and a recipient of ideas, unquote. Plus, he shares how architecture inspires his composing the ways a daily bike ride can be good for the soul and the body, and his favorite restaurant in Los Angeles for traditional Italian cuisine. I'm Michael Abels, and I'm a composer. I'm known mostly for my um, orchestral works. Uh, that is include works for the concert hall, but also for uh, film and media productions. Where do you find inspiration to create music? From everything in the world outside of music, really. Uh, some of it is um philosophy or observations about the world um some of it is sometimes the natural world um sometimes it's just a general feeling whether it's a personal feeling or kind of a zeitgeist in in um in society as a whole if you were to look at uh specific fields of study outside of music art design architecture fashion are there any of those that specifically influences your um, compositional style, that sort of thing. Absolutely. I, I actually, I think architecture is the first one because, um, at first, because I don't think most people associate music and architecture as being related, but I think of the visual arts, it's the one that's most related to music because music has both structure and, um, artistic input and it, it requires both of those things for music to really play and and um even though architecture is a uh, three-dimensional spatial art 
um, music is a is um, about structure of sound in time. And if you look at it that way, then there are a lot of similarities. So um, often I'm I have a an idea and it's very emotional or right brain or creative, and I have to figure out how to bring that into the world and um, and notate it or record it and that act is very left brain and it's not certainly not scientific, but it's logical and structured. And so, um, as I'm working on, um, music, I'm, I feel myself constantly switching between the, the creative aesthetic and the, and the structural. And so, um, when I think about architecture, I really see similarities there. Describe a routine you have in place that helps you live a healthier life. Wow. Well, this is actually really important to artists. And I often tell young artists that, you know, the people who think of themselves as artists are people who often feel like they're not quite at home with the structures of the everyday world. And what I've discovered as an artist is that in fact, Artists need those structures perhaps even more than people who are not in the arts, because if you're working at a, at, at what we would call a desk job or a nine to five job or something, you have a structure that's being imposed on you by someone else. And people like to think of that as a curse, but it's actually a blessing because the only thing worse is to not have that structure and have to come up with it yourself. And yet. I think that's the single most important thing for artists is to be able to um, implement their own structure. And the beauty of it is that you get to choose what it is. And if nine to five is not you, then don't choose that. But any artist needs to choose a routine. So for me, first, it's the, it's the realization of the importance of the routine that I've just said. Um, right now, my routine involves um, getting up in the morning and, and working out and um, and since the pandemic, I've been doing that at home or just in my neighborhood. Um, I'm known as that is that crazy guy who rides his bike around the block. Um, there's a hill, there's a, there's a, a nice hill on my block. And so I ride around the block a bunch of times and I have to go up that hill a bunch of times. And so, um, it's gotten so, it's gotten so funny that my neighbors have started timing my splits. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> really? And then a neighbor of a little kid, they will cheer me when they see me coming up the hill. And it's, it's really, so it, it's out of control, but it's really touching and funny and inspiring, crazy. So that, that's an example of me taking something that's actually a routine about taking care of myself and getting ready to create an artistic space and doing this other thing that doesn't seem related to the arts and yet it's totally um central to me creating a space um in my in my mind and in my world where i can be creative if we kind of shift that question and talk about energy specifically um so not a routine to for health but energy is there something that you can point to specifically that that keeps you creating so first about creative energy or the creative voice is something that 
I always experience as coming from outside me, from, from above or from the, you know, the universal committee in charge of creation, if you will. And my job is really not to do the creating, but to be the, um, to, to be the transcriber, to, to be the channel through which the, that creative spirit flows. And, um, ultimately I'm trying to take my, um, take my intention and my ego out of that process and just allow what happens to happen. And I often have an assignment, you know, I can't, I, I'm not officially allowed to just write whatever the hell I want. I'm supposed to be doing that toward a goal, whether that's a commission or, um, you know, a, a piece of music that's in a film or, or a show or something. And there's a lot of other requirements of that piece of music in terms of instrumentation and, um, um, the emotional response of a listener and on and on and on. But I, I try to take the pure creative energy and guide it toward whatever the requirements are of the project I'm working. But I don't, I, the minute I start thinking that I'm in charge of that is when it starts to not go as well. It's much better when I'm just a, I thinking of myself as a channel or a guide. And that seems very, I don't know, not very practical in the way I'm describing it. But, but what that means is that the creative energy doesn't, I don't sit and go, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> it never cooperates. It tells me the creative energy tells me when it has an idea and it's virtually never an idea that relates to whatever I'm working on at the moment. It's always about the thing that I'm not allowed to write for another couple months or whatever. And I think that's just the, 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 um, the creative energy's way of teasing me, frankly, it's always excited about whatever it is that I'm not allowed to write or is not on the docket yet. So how, what do I do? How do I make that work? I listen. My deal is that I'll listen to that creative spirit whenever it decides, which means, which often happens in the early morning, right before you wake up, a very creative time. So if I discover that I'm about to wake up and I'm filled with music, um, I'll give up whatever my routine is and I'll go and I'll write down that music or I'll write it down enough that I can remember kind of the space that it was coming from when I had the idea, if that makes sense. And I wish it didn't happen that way, but I have given myself the trust in the creative process that that's the way it happens for me. So then when it comes time to write, whatever it is, um, which might be weeks later, I go back to the idea and I listen to it as if I, and, and it's always surprising to me what idea I had back when I wasn't supposed to have ideas about whatever it was. And that I, and it, it's like a, a gift and a discovery to me. And I'm always grateful for the idea from, um, from back when it, it happened. And then I'm able to take my more, um, left brain, the one that, that figures out how to make things work and it can take the creative idea, which came much earlier and I can execute it at the time that I have to do it. And that's a really long answer, but. And maybe it shows you how much I've thought about this and how much I've really tried to 
to be both a, a channel and a, a recipient of ideas and also be someone who harnesses them and makes them work for me. Yeah, no, it's excellent. I, I think it's a fascinating way to, to approach it. And, and it's cool that you have thought a lot about it because I, I do ask this question to some other people and, and they may have not thought about it or they don't have as a complex answer as you do. So that's clearly you have thought this through. Let's take a quick break. Did you know Classical Post is a brand built for your pleasure by Gold Sound Media, a New York creative studio developing content for music lovers around the United States. We're always looking for new opportunities to partner with music presenters, artists, and record labels. If you're interested in content to build your community, please get in touch. Head to goldsoundmedia.com. Now, back to the show. What is one specific product you highly recommend? And really can be anything, food, uh, tech, wine, you name it. Wow. <laughs> um, one product, think for a second. I guess I would say a bicycle. I would say a bicycle because bicycling is something you can do at any fitness level. Uh, you can be very slow or you can be highly competitive. And it's a way to, um, see your world, to see your neighborhood, um, see the countryside and enjoy it in a way that's, um, very good for your soul and good for your body. Is there a particular brand of bike that you like? Well, I've got a Trek, but I, it's really more about what works for you. What restaurant or bar do you love to eat at when you're in LA? And then obviously, what do you order there? There's a restaurant called Osteria Mama, which is a very traditional Italian restaurant run by Italians. And uh, uh, I order whatever I'm in the mood for. I've never had a meal there that wasn't um, amazing. Uh, any other ones or, or that, that would be the main one? Mm, I also order. I order in a lot. I'm a delivery service addict, um, something, something that I got used to during the pandemic that I now don't want to give up. Um, and I order from a chain called mixed, which, ha um, offers a lot of healthier options that they can deliver. Tell us about your new opera, Omar. I'm really curious how you got this idea and, and why you created it. Well, Omar is about the life of, um, Omar Ibn Said, who was a, um, Senegalese Muslim who was, um, captured and enslaved and brought over on the middle passage to the Carolinas in 1807. And he, um, was 37 at the time of his enslavement. And so he was, he could read and write Arabic at the time. Um, and when this was discovered, uh, it was 
a source of um, wonder and and um, by his um, by those who enslaved him. And while his first master was very brutal, he ran away and was repurchased by a, a man who was very devout, but a very devout Christian. So um, the devout Christian had respect for his um, for Omar's level of education, but also thought it was only natural that Omar convert to Christianity. So it began a kind of interesting relationship between them that has some, some irony in it. And this sort of story I think is the great, um, is great fodder for opera, which tackles it, social issues and, um, and satire and commentary and irony so well. Um, but it wasn't my idea in any way. It, the Spoleto USA Festival based in Charleston, South Carolina approached Rhiannon Giddens, who's a Grammy-winning singer-songwriter, uh, amazing performer, singer, banjo player, uh, and also um, historian of kind of lost uh, African-American musical history. They asked her to uh, write the opera and she, uh, asked me to collaborate with her. And so Rhiannon ended up writing, writing the um, entire libretto herself because as a singer, songwriter, and poet, she felt, um, you know, comfortable in that world. Um, and as a trained opera singer, she also um, felt like she understood what an opera is and what is required vocally. Um, but she collaborated with me on the music because the langu language of opera is really quite different than the language of folk music and Americana music. And so um, together we wrote this music and it really, I was thrilled to collaborate with her. I said yes instantly. Um, and we had never even met before that, but I just knew because I had always wanted to, to write an opera. It had been a lifelong dream. Um, and so it's really a piece about the, the journey of, of the power of faith to transcend one's um, physical circumstances and to provide hope in a situation that's otherwise hopeless and how faith can even, you know, connect people who otherwise would not even see eye to eye. Um, and it, it's, um, it's a very moving work and ultimately, um, ultimately I think uplifting, which is kind of surprising for a piece that takes place during a time of enslavement. It's a, a crazy story, I, you know, in terms of just the ups and downs. I mean, I, I haven't um, seen the opera yet, but I'm just hearing you describe this. And it sounds like it, it would be an incredible experience on stage because it's so, uh, it's, it lends itself, like you're saying, to an opera. It sounds very dramatic. Um, and the, the irony involved, too, if the um, enslaved person with the um, devout Christian, like the irony with that. And I, yeah, I'm assuming that the interaction with the music and the libretto, et cetera, would be really, um, uh, yeah, yeah, very profound probably in terms of dealing with that issue. Well, thank you. Uh, it was fully our intention to, um, to both, to exploit the dichotomy um, of the, um, the cultural dichotomies and the musical dichotomy um, and the spiritual dichotomy even, um, both for for tragedy and for inspiration. And so the, the style of the music is very, um, 
on the one hand, the vocal lines are very singable and there's a lot of tunes that could be considered folk music. Um, we specifically chose a couple of traditional, um, folk tunes, the first tune even transcribed of an enslaved person in, um, in the American continent is the, uh, subject to the beginning of the overture. And there are a couple of tunes that are spirituals or work songs, uh, worked into the music, but there's also lots of music that's, um, more Senegalese inspired or of the larger Muslim diaspora. And then there's some, of course, the, the most well-known opera set in Charleston is Porgy and Bess. And so there is absolutely some, you know, early 20th century mm, jazz harmony in there. Um, it's really meant to, it's a piece that's meant to be a, a purely American opera in the way that all of our, our culture is so, um, multicultural and intermixed and, um, and the harmony that that provides and the dissonance that provides. If you could point to one thing that you hope listeners take away after hearing a performance of this opera, what would it be? Just that, that it, the power of faith to transcend even the most difficult circumstances and to build bridges. Um, whereas we often think of, um, um, differences of faith is causing, um, you know, causing friction. It can actually, with the shared sense of that, there's a, a, a purpose greater than ourselves. It can actually provide, um, a source of commonality and healing. Do you have any plans, um, or anything that you can share in terms of upcoming performances of this opera? Well, yeah, it's, um, First it's, so it premiered at the Spoleto USA festival in May of 22, and now it's enjoying its, um, West coast premiere at Los Angeles opera this fall, beginning on, um, October 22nd. I think it runs through about November 12th or 13th and tickets are now on sale. Um, but then it's coming to Boston Lyric Opera in May of 23, and I believe that it's also going to it's also confirmed for, uh, Chicago lyric opera and San Francisco opera in an upcoming season. So, um, the Brianna and I are amazed at the, uh, incredible, um, eagerness to, uh, stage the opera. And we're just as excited as we can be. And we're, we're really glad that people across the country will have a chance to actually go and see it live. So in other words, this is going to be a big hit. It sounds like this is going to have some massive success because yeah, if you already know, or those are, are booked, um, this coming season. Yeah. That sounds like it's going to be big. So congratulations, because as, as a composer, you must be very, um, happy to, to see your work being heard or will be heard, especially in the coming season by so many people. It, it's extremely gratifying because you have to, um, I've been blessed to work on some really big projects, you know, um, and uh, so I'm, I don't take that for granted, but that part I'm used to, but what I, um, what was very challenging, you know, we worked on, so Omar was, the premiere was postponed not once, but twice during the pandemic. It was originally to premiere in 2020 and we've been working on it, um, since, you know, we met in 2018, we've been actively working on it since 2019. So it's so. If you think of all the things, 
just that whoever is listening, if you think of all the things that have happened in your own life since 2019 or 2018, we had to keep kind of the emotional creative space of Omar sort of preserved through all the things that happened in our lives through this whole time. And that's an amazing challenge (laughs) to to, you know, go off and do, you know, Rhiannon's a performer and she released, I think, two albums during that period, which are not about Omar. And I had, I had films that I worked on that came out and the things and I did those. And, and then we would each both at the time, at times return to Omar and kind of recreate the space that Omar's story lives in and, you know, vocally and, and orchestrally and, and it's, was quite a challenge in that way. And I'm sure opera composers, that is what writing an opera is, but, um, to go through all that and then to have it performed and have audiences respond to it. Um, it just, it, you feel incredibly blessed to be an artist and to have the opportunity to create art that speaks to people. And that's how I feel about Omar completely. Yeah. Excellent. One one final question, success. I mean, you kind of touched on it perhaps right there, but uh, what does it mean to you? What does success mean to you? That's a great question. It, it can be defined in so many ways. Um, I, what I just told you about Omar is certainly a definition of success. Absolutely. But there, there are others. I mean, one of them is um, having a having a choice of projects, just having the option to choose things that feel right to you, that's success. Um, and I've, I feel like I am at that point at, at, because I, as I look at what might be next for me, wherever I am, I, I, um, discovering, I discover myself having to choose between things and, um, a lot of times they're, they're great things that I, and I want to say yes to everything. And, and I realized that that, that's a definition of success. Um, another one is just to, is to feel like artists often live in a condition of, of not having enough or having to make sure that they have enough. And I lived in that condition for many, many years. And I don't right now feel like I'm living in that condition. I feel like I have enough. And if I need something, I can get it. And that change is amazing. And I highly recommend it to everyone. (laughs) And, um, and I talk about it that way rather than in terms of a certain level of income, because you know, what is enough varies from person to person. And it's very wise for artists to create that level lower than they feel like they might, because having a, a modest level of what is enough is going to sustain you rather than you, an artist needs to not an artist needs to have enough, but they also not, need to not have that be their important means to their end. So um, that could be a whole other subject. But anyway, that's another definition of success. And 
I think also choosing where you want to go in over a period of time, having to choose where you would like to expend your creative energy and what you would like to, how would you, what contribution you feel like you have made at the end of a period of years and thinking about that and having some choice about that, that's another definition of success. Thanks for listening to the Classical Post podcast. I hope you have found it meaningful and that it gave you new ideas to cultivate your creativity to be better in business and life. So let's stay in touch. Remember to follow this podcast to get notified of new episodes and sign up for our monthly newsletter for album recommendations and editorial on leading artists. Just head to classicalpost.com slash subscribe. Mm -hmm.